Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. All right, everyone, I'm Ben Tapper, and welcome back to another week of the Invisible Truths podcast. My guest this week is a mindset coach based in LA named Gavin Masumiya. Welcome, Gavin. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. So as you know, we, I got one question to tee you off, and then we'll go down the rabbit hole matrix style. Let's do it. Okay. So to kick it off, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about masculinity. There's a lot... Masculinity, I think, in some ways, is a hot topic right now, especially with the Me Too movement, uh, ideas of toxic masculinity going around. A lot of men don't know what to do with their masculinity, I think, in the same way that a lot of white folks don't know what to do with their whiteness. Mm. And so um, I have been torn with the idea of what does it mean to, to shape and to understand our masculinity in a positive sense, recognizing, of course, masculinity and femininity, that binary is fictional as well, right? It's much more fluid than that. Um, but having said all that, I'm wondering what made you begin unpacking your masculinity? Good question, man. We're going to get juicy from the start. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's, there's three things that just come to mind is like, first one is just feeling like growing up, I was always the underdog, or that's just how I perceived myself, like just growing up a year older than everybody, being held a year back, um, feeling like I was stupider than my uh, my siblings and just people generally in class. Um, I always try to find a way, like, how can I assert myself more? So it came from, I guess that even that question before even knowing it occurred from a place of lack growing up. A uh, second tier response is a really <laughs> juicy one. But uh, it was maybe like a year and a half or uh, two years ago when I was in this like relationship. It was my first interracial relationship. And um, she was uh, she was African-American. And then I found myself really comparing to her hypothetical past, you know, with like, say, like the black man that she dated in the past. And I was thinking, oh, my dick size is probably not big enough. I don't think that I can really be able to uh, satisfy her. And. I actually went to see a sex therapist a few times too, because I'm like, I'm getting like performance anxiety when I'm trying mm. to like have sex. And uh, I, like, it's it was all about like lacking the sense of self-esteem. Mm. And so that also just started to uh, organically just think about, does that make me any less of a man because of my dick size, right? Yeah. And so that was a whole new thing of unraveling about learning to just accept myself uh, more for just what God has or the universe has gifted me with. And that was another tier of like, really, yeah, what does it mean to be uh, a man if it wasn't about this um, things that, you know, you can't necessarily control that you were just granted from birth, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the third tier that I'll get into is my friend Samir introduced me to this men's organization and uh, I've been involved with it for over a year. And that has really just um, opened my eyes up to um, thinking beyond just, just being like this emotionally available person that just expresses how you feel all the time. Um, and it was put to the test, like when my mother was in the hospital about four months ago um, and really having to take a stand where um, I saw where being emotional was not going to serve me in that situation when she was having these like seizures and these different things happening that I had to be like, I just put it on myself. that I had to be that strong person that even if I felt emotion inside, there's something powerful about being that grounded energy in the room when things were going ape shit even if they may not have been authentic to how I felt in that moment. Um, so just three, just feeling like the underdog, um, really just uh, the insecurities in r- romantic relationships and also uh, the men's work that I've been a part of for a little over a year. 
Man, I appreciate the vulnerability off the jump. That's some some real stuff that not it's stuff that doesn't come up every day in conversation when when men talk, especially cisgender heterosexual men. And so I love that you just named anxiety about your dick size. I mean, that's that I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Right? That is what it is. You just got put on the line, bro. <laughs> right. You know, I, I don't know. I don't stare at other people's dicks and stuff. I'm not really sure. It was just like it's so no funny. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, man, it's just voicing the truth, you know, voicing our truths um, in a way that maybe it can serve other people that are watching this that might be insecure about like, oh, the way that they show up or they're not as big as they think that they are, that um, I know that my value is so much bigger, you know, and I got the motion of the ocean too. <laughs> so <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, as you were talking, it, it made me think of the idea of competition and I feel like so much of my understanding of masculinity growing up, and maybe even still today, is rooted in this idea of comparing myself to either other men, or maybe even other people generally, or to some fictional standard that I perceived other people were living into. You know, am I strong enough? Am I going to be able to perform enough sexually? Am I going to be competent enough in my career? And I it feels like so much of my own gender identity and understanding of myself has been rooted in comparing myself to whether or not I measure up to whatever I perceive the other to be. So much so that when I walk into a room, one of the questions that's running in the back of my mind, honestly, is, especially if it's a room full of other men, if I could physically take them. Like if if shit went down, how many of these dudes could I handle in a fight? Like that is a, a question that just runs in the back of my mind. And if I had to handle them, how would I have to do it? Right. Mm. Um, rooted in competition, rooted in being a small dude. I'm five, eight on a great day, you know, buck 40, buck 50. So, so I don't have a lot to work with here. Um, and that meant that growing up, people would underestimate me or would think they could push me around or whatever. And so like, I've got a little bit of a, a small man's complex, if you will, that has shaped how I move through the world and understand myself and relate to others. And so having to, to name that, to see it as uncomfortable as it is, and then unpack it, then, then like that's the work. And then I have to then begin to ask myself, okay, then what will inform my, my masculine identity, if not that? And so as you have wrestled with yours, how has a sense of competition factored into to how you traditionally understand your identity or, or how you understand it today? Good question. I really like that. And I just want to let you know, I'm between five, seven, five, eight, but 30, bro. <laughs> so just throwing it That's out there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Like, uh, interestingly, you know, I, I played uh, sports most of my life. I played basketball, very team oriented sport and our team sucked, man. And so the interesting thing is there's certain, certain thought leaders like Gary Vanderchuk. He talks a lot about like, uh, fuck those sportsmanship trophies and stuff. And I really agree with that, man. We always got sportsmanship every year because our team was so bad that we always got last place. Ironically, man, even when I was like 12 years old and we would go up to the podium after these tournaments, the sportsmanship trophy was the same size as first place. And even at like 11 and 12 years old, I just remember thinking like, why is that? That's not fair. They like, you know, they were undefeated. And why is ours the same thing? Why are we even getting a trophy in the first place? So at some point, man, I think it was subconsciously, I made a decision that competition is not a good thing. And I became resigned to, to wanting to compete or to try to be like the best. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with competition, man. And it's, to me, it's, it's all about like, who am I like going to be competing alongside with? Like, who is my team and what am I fighting for? I'm really fighting for uh, people being able to, to feel comfortable in, in sharing their truth and unleashing their, their self-expression. Um, that's been really big because I was such a shy little ass Asian boy growing up, you know? So I have that little underdog, you know, mentality too. And so as you, as you embrace the, the innate competition and the innate drive that you have, uh, and I heard you say it's a, uh, a competition almost against yourself, 
maybe competition is the wrong word, but really a drive to improve and to continuously improve and, and to become better than maybe you feel you are today. How do you balance that with um, a sense of differentiation from other people, right? So you being the best Gavin possible almost has nothing to do with how good of a Ben I am or how good of uh, a Melanie someone is or, or Mark or whomever, right? It, it's almost independent, but so often we've learned to measure ourselves against other people. So how, what work have you done to, to decouple your growth with measurement against someone else? Um, well, actually, one thing that has really helped is, um, you know, we both know uh, uh, Melanie, right? But uh, she, she really introduced me with a nice, nice practice. And it's a three-tiered practice that I did, especially when I was having these unfulfilled expectations around, let's just say, sales conversations, or I find myself really heady and I'm making something really significant that's bringing down my, like my vibration or just putting me in a space where I'm feeling stuck. And it's one is around um, acceptance. So she had me practice this at the end of the night where um, you answer the question, I accept myself for, right? And so let's just say like I had a sales conversation and go through. So I says, I accept myself for um, reaching out to somebody and then having a sales call and they say no. And I made it mean that I'm not good enough, that I'm stupid, that I should just stop. All those little instinctive uh, survival mechanism kind of like things to help me like kind of just keep me in a safe space. So going through like two or three of them. And then the next one is around forgiveness. And forgiveness is a really interesting uh, piece uh, because uh, one of my favorite CEOs, Vishen Lakiani, he uh, runs this company called Mind Valley, a really global company. And uh, the research that he shared around forgiveness is that there are studies that are done where people that actually have a consistent practice of forgiveness, they, uh, you know, they end up being like happier. But one of the things that was so interesting, man, is that they would track the vertical jump of people that had a regular practice of forgiveness before and after. And people that were able to practice forgiveness, they would have a higher vertical leap than when they started. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it is, so that forgiveness, oftentimes when I did it at the end of the night, it was forgiving myself. Mm. All right. I did a lot of work around forgiving other people. So a lot of the things now I still, I've been reintroducing his, it's called a six phase meditation. And one of them, the second phase is around forgiveness. Mm. I, I realize now that when I'm doing it, I don't really have too much energy towards other people, but there mm -hmm. is still a lot of work of unpacking around self-forgiveness. Mm. And then the last one is gratitude, right? So I'm, I accept myself for, I forgive myself for, and the last one is I'm grateful for the lesson. Mm. And so, um, you know, even with regards to the a sales conversation, I'm grateful uh, for the lesson that um, I can get more into the other person's world and really trying to unpack around what, what is it that is, that uh, has this person of say no, or what is this person really bumping up against and getting into the world more? And also like, oh, I'm grateful for the lesson that I'm continuing to put myself out there in a way where I'm constantly pushing at the edges of what I'm used to, of what I'm familiar with, you know? And uh, yeah, man, like every time I'm pushing up against something, these the red alert just comes on, you know, and, mm. my, and it's like, back up, back up, back up. Mm. And so it really takes this willpower, which is so finite. I see just willpower is very finite. So it's very um, uh, important that I select what I'm choosing to invest my willpower in. Um, so that has really helped. Acceptance, forgiveness, and gratitude has helped me a lot in learning to just, hey, you know what? I'm competing against yesterday. Mm. Man, that's, that's, some, that's some good shit right there. Um, Shout out to Mel. Shout out to Mel, <laughs> Melanie Klein. <laughs> I've heard you mention your drive several times, and I'm wondering where that comes from for you. If there's a moment or something that you feel like has really birthed that drive for you. For me, I, I recall a moment that I've shared with my listeners, either in my blog or on the podcast, where I was sitting on my foster mom's lap. I was maybe nine or 10 and I was really upset about my life and I was crying because I had just gotten bumped down from third grade to second grade and I felt stupid as hell. 
And she, she said, Ben, you can be upset about your life and all that's happened to you and you have every right to be. But you can also decide to take advantage of the second chance at life that God has given you. And that really stuck with me. And, and I think was kind of the, the seed that I needed to be planted to, to produce the drive and the constant desire for personal growth later on in life. And, and while I have had to rework that so it doesn't become destructive and, and so it doesn't take over my life, it, it still has been important to me. And I think I look back and I'm like, yeah, that's the moment I, I decided to really focus internally and to make sure that I was being the best I could so that I didn't mess up the life that I had. So I didn't take it for granted. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm thinking of as I ask you that same question of, of, of when was the seed of your drive planted? Mm. When was it planted? That's an interesting one. So when you, thank you for sharing yours too. Mm -hmm. um, so when you mentioned that there's a few things that pop up, um, I, you know, I'm in a, uh, I'm a part of this, uh, this book It's called ignite your life for men and how they, uh, and how the book was structured is that we we're going to come up with a couple, they call it ignite moments, right? Mm -hmm. And ignite moments are defined as moments in time where you made a decision that changed the trajectory of your life. Mm. And so one of the earlier moments that I didn't mention really, well, I kind of did, but it was in fifth grade. And right before we culminated to go into middle school, you have like a play at mm. the end. And mm -hmm. so we read this book called Lucy Whipple about this, like this Midwestern late girl and how she's just around her family dynamic and everything. And uh, everybody was, had to take a role. And when they mentioned the roles, there's this one role that I wanted, man. And his name was Mr. Scatter. I think he was like, uh, he was a store owner and he had a pretty big role in the, in the uh, play. Mm. But, you know, I, I didn't see myself as capable, like to, uh, to do that. I don't even, it wasn't, it's like, I, you know, that want, I knew that like, oh, I wanted that. I wanted Mr. Scatter, man. Yeah. And it's just, I immediately, for some reason, I just stopped and I was like, nope. And so I took stage crew, you know? Mm. And so like, it's just, I was not seen in the, in this thing at all. It was just like during the, when things went start, I, I moved the table, mm. I moved this away. And the interesting thing is that when I would get home sometimes, man, I, we would, everybody had the script so we can see like, oh, this is where stage crew goes. This is mm -hmm. what's happening. And I would start to just memorize his, Mr. Scatter's lines. It was almost like this secret dream or like, I know I'm not going to play this role, but I just want to pretend. Yeah. Let me pretend. Let me wonder. And man, there's this one line that I just, I still remember, dude, mm -hmm. in the back of my hand mm -hmm. right now. And, the, and it goes, because he, he's a store owner, right? Mm -hmm. So his name was Peter Evenson. He, he was the most popular kid in school. He ended up taking that role. And one of the, the lines was, beans and bacon, fish and cans, barrels of flour, sacks of yams, raisins, rice, salt, pork and such, woods and cottons, soft to touch, tubs and buckets, pots and pans, gullicks from the fairer lands, kegs and whiskey, candy treats, picks and shovels, pickled beets. We take credit, coins and dust, come to scatters a store to trust well done well done <laughs> dude, you know, that was 20, dude that was 20 years ago Man. and i don't think that's ever going to evade i'm never going to forget about that but it just goes to show that that was a significant moment and i didn't like become more more open like necessarily after that mm. it's just when you ask me that question that was something that really came up where it was one of those pain points that i let that opportunity pass me by um and so there's, there's something magical then mm. about these, like these pains in our life mm. and how they like create purpose mm. or they create like a drive, a passion and pain could be very serving in that way. And, you know, in that, in the moment, you know, I just finished reading Steve Jobs biography by Isaac Walterson, but like, and he said it in the commencement speech in Stanford, you know, that like, you just can't connect the dots moving forward. It's only mm -hmm. looking back. And I would, I didn't think of any of this stuff. My brain wasn't even half developed at 12 years old. Right. Mm, right. They say, you, they say your brain develops around when you're about 25, where it mm -hmm. becomes more fully developed. Like, so my consciousness just was not very expansive, but looking back, that was an important moment. It was one of those important pain points mm. that if I didn't have that man, if I didn't have those kinds of experiences, like 
this this drive to around unleash self-expression would not be as prevalent in me. Yeah, I mean, there there are ways in which uh, mistakes and failure produce a different kind of growth than success does, uh, and so yeah, that's kind of what I hear you alluding to. Uh, and I think everyone listening has moments like that where they let their self doubt hold them back. Uh, for some people, it happened today. For some, it happened thirty years ago. But but I think everyone has several moments like that, and so it, it's it's uh, it, it's really what we do with them that shapes how the ripples play out, right? Mm, yes, yes, indeed. In the book, because uh, you gave me a copy of of the the book Ignite Your Life for Men, in which you oh I did I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so you gave me a, a copy and um, the the quote that is at the beginning of your section I'm gonna read it out and then I'd mm. love to hear yeah your, sure. your thoughts on that so the quote is when you courageously share your weird in the world. You expand your capacity to find your kind of weird, those who truly cherish you for who you are. Mm. And I'm wondering, Gavin, what does it look like for you to share your weird in the world? What does Gavin's weird look like? Um, you know, it looks like me being unapologetic that I have these obsessive compulsive tendencies, you know, mm. that like I, I just, you can't really see, but everything in my place i know exactly where everything is mm -hmm. i'm very like a tidy person and i have these weird like mannerisms where if things aren't lined up i just do it and my friends call me out in it all the time and i'm, I'm yeah it's part of who i am i'm damn proud of it you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like you know just acknowledging yeah I'm, i have obsessive compulsive tendencies and it's a part of kind of what keeps me going keeps me organized um that uh i try to push the boundaries of like what I'm willing to just share mm. in a way like I was like should I should I should I share about like my insecurities with my dick size and all these different things yeah mm -hmm. why not you yeah. know why why not and so that's a part of the weird where it can push other people away and I but I've gotten a lot because I've done different types of um uh just work and I'm, I am curious about like what other people think. I think it's good to know both mm. to an extent. And um, so I, you know, I just asked what ask people, what am I good at? Uh, what can I, what are some of the areas I can grow in? When have I ever disappointed or surprised you? What, mm. what, are, what are people, what are people saying when I'm not there? Mm. Um, and then, yeah, people, uh, one of the patterns that I got is like, sometimes you could be too much Gavin, mm. you know, mm -hmm. you could be like so much maybe with your, up uh, so, like one friend called me boisterous like you have this boisterous personality especially when you get passionate and it could push back even like people that are a lot more introverted which is ironic because you were really introverted growing up mm -hmm. and these things but like you could push away that which you once were which um and <clears throat> when i first heard that i got like should i maybe i should just die, like chill more or like just simmer 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 down gavin yeah simmer down simmer down yeah yeah simmer <laughs> down now it's pragmatic you know life is an art man you know that uh i get messy sometimes and sometimes i pull back like yeah i mean that could be that could have went differently or this and that i wasn't empathizing as much as i could to this person then and at the same time man it's just i'm i'm just getting to this point where on a, no matter what i do man i've had people pleasing tendencies like most of my life man was just like wanted to be accepted right and wanting to be the cool person i still have this like desire to always look good and stuff so you know there's still unraveling for me to do constantly man but one thing is i'm getting clear on is that no matter what i do there's going to be people that are just not going to really be too fond of me and that's just going to be a fact of life that some people are just not going to like me for whatever reason whether it's for projection references or yep. something you know whatever and some people are, are not going to care either way and some people are, are going to be down for me um and i'm just learning to to um understand the see the world more from those three buckets mm -hmm. ty lopez says it really nicely he just says there's always going to be those three buckets especially the more that you're going to be yourself like really be yourself you're going to be a polarizing person a polarizing yeah. human being yeah and that's how you're going to be the most fulfilled. And from that place, it's all about where, where are you going to focus? Like your reticular activating system, right? Where are, is this, where are we going to filter? Are we going to focus on the people that don't like us, the people that don't care about us or the people that really jive with us? And that's my kind of weird. And so the more that we share our weird, the more that we 
afford the opportunity for other people to see a part of themselves and us. And that's like, I think that's where real fulfillment is as social creatures, you know, mm. people that just accept us for who we are and also see the best in us, you know, yeah. see what we're up to based on our values. And they want to push us to, to, to move more in alignment with those values, not to push you to be someone different, but to be more of who you want, know you want to be. Yep. Um, that's what I mean by that quote. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so interesting hearing you say all that. I'm reminded of the podcast that I did last week with Mel, because she shared something very similar uh, about recognizing the places that she, recognizing where her weird might be or, or recognizing the places that she might rub other people the wrong way, but then also realizing that when she's with her clan, when she's with her folks, and for you, when you're with your folks, that those same qualities are also the things that endear you to them right and, mm. and so and so it's all a matter of, of perspective sure there are things we can fine tune but if we spend all of our time trying to be the quote perfect version of ourselves or or be whoever's going to make the person we're with at the moment the most happy then we're we are going to be miserable um i too have people pleasing tendencies and as a result i'm not great at um, standing up for myself until I'm backed into a corner. And then usually the way I stand up for myself is not healthy. Um, mm. cause I, I can be a fighter. I choose not to be most of the time, but when you put me in a corner, I'll scrap with the best of them. Um, yeah. you know, that's the survival, the survival is coming out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I'm learning to manage that learning what it means to, to say no for me to set better boundaries, things of that nature. Um, but it's not always easy. Um, and, and so I appreciate you sharing that also because part of my hope for this podcast, honestly, part of my hope for any of the sharing that I do, any of the space I create for others, for myself to share their stories uh, is so that we can all remember that we are not as alone as we think we are, right? Yeah. So that we can all remember that nobody, that the perfect life doesn't exist, that, that no one is always completely and totally happy with everything about their life. Um, but as long as we allow the illusion to continue, it's going to make us all more and more miserable, right? But if we can expose the illusion for what it is, if we can share our vulnerabilities, share our insecurities, share our fears about our dicks not being big enough, right? Then, <laughs> then we can all heal together, right? So that is, that's the hope uh, with the spaces that I'm creating. And, and, and so, uh, yeah, I just... I love, I think people are beginning to embrace that and, and everything you just shared reminded me, it brought me back to why I even do this in the first mm, place. Um, I so love that, man. Thank you for that. You're welcome, dude. Thank you for this, dude. Let's, let's kill, keep peeling back the onion. That's right. That's yeah. right. Peeling back. So, okay. Speaking of peeling back the onion, uh, I'm going to venture into a topic that, that might be a little touch and go, uh, something I've not yet discussed on the podcast, something that I've only talked about in in-person or text conversations with my other uh, cisgender guy friends. And so I'm really excited to jump into it. <laughs> what? Oh, you mean? you kidding me? Okay, hot seat, let's go. <laughs> so, okay. thinking about the Me Too movement, thinking about mindful masculinity, one of the fears uh, there are a couple fears that I've heard other cisgender heterosexual men name, um, but one of them is around how to interact with females in a way mm. that is safe for all involved, how to uh, recognize or express attractiveness without being seen as objectifying uh, a, a woman, right? Mm. And so... Um, I have plenty of thoughts on this topic. Um, and so if you want me to kick it off, I can do that. Or if you want to start, you can. But I'm wondering, how are you thinking about what it means to engage in healthy relationships, right? Whether that, how do you, and that can cover everything from uh, being flirtatious to being a great friend to being a, an affectionate and intentional uh, sexual partner. I mean, there are many different ways you can take it. But how do you think about and approach having safe relationships uh, with regard to masculinity and, and, and femininity and, uh, and all that is going on in our culture right now? Okay, so I just want to, so the clarification is yes. that, especially before with my relationship with women. Yes. Specifically, it, right? Yeah, because I mean, it, it yeah. can affect your relationship with men too, but I think because we live in a patriarchal, misogynistic culture, there's something different about interacting with people who identify uh, as women, whether that be trans women, cis women, whatever. I think there's 
our culture has created a power dynamic that we have to try to, to navigate. Yeah, you know, like I would say uh, prior to actually coaching, I was in social services and that is a very heavily female dominant field. Mm-hmm. I think that like in my, the company, I think the big thing is just around like there a consistency. I like to make people feel safe. Yeah. And I think that that's always, there's something about that. That's kind of like uh, top of mind. Even when if I'm going to be feeling I'm pushing the envelope in a conversation, it's almost, there's, there's something magical about, it's not everything, but about the intention, mm-hmm. the intention with which you're going to come from. And so it's not even the words, right? And so I think there's something powerful around that when we're clear on the intention that it'll come, it'll, it'll come through just naturally through inflection and tonality. And I, I think I, I really care about intention and that's what I have in, in friendships too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I haven't been one to, I've never been called a fuck boy or like a playboy before. Mm-hmm. That's not something that I've really explored much at all, really. Every time like I've engaged in sexual relations with a chick, had sex with them, it was, we were in a relationship. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I will say that, you know, right now at 32, I am, um, I'm seeing how I'm open to that, man. Just mm-hmm. exploring sexuality for sexuality reasons with women and being clear with that, with them, yep. if they're down, then, and I'm attractive and we're yeah. attracted to each other, let's do that. There's, right. I don't see there's anything wrong with that. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to get messy and exploring that. Paying attention to attraction. I think this is something I haven't done often enough in my life. My sense is it's not valued in our culture because I was never taught to. Um, so I'm assuming it's just not something that's out there, but I think it's important to notice when we experience any type of attraction, whether that be sexual or physical attraction, emotional, intellectual, spiritual. I don't even know all the different ways you can be attracted to someone. So whatever that is for whoever's listening, I think it's important to notice it. Not that you have to act on it, right? Um, But even if you're in a committed relationship, uh, a committed monogamous relationship, and you experience attraction to someone outside of that relationship, I think there's learning that can happen in just noticing the attraction, right? Uh, being being curious. And so a lot of times I think in our culture, we either uh, disassociate from our bodies and shut parts of ourselves off when we, when we get into committed monogamous relationships. Um, but when we do that, learning stops. So just because you experience attraction towards someone else, it doesn't mean you have to take that as far as you can and cheat. It doesn't mean you have to pursue it. But if you just sit with it, there are things you can learn about yourself that are ultimately going to make you a better version of yourself, which will thus improve your relationship, you know, that you're currently in. And so I love that you, you named noticing when you experience attraction, because I think that's, that's something we don't do often enough. Mm, Yeah, that's a great distinction you have there too. Like there's nothing wrong with, um, actually in one of my previous relationships, she caught me. It was when I was in Japan and it was Mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful relationships, man. Mm man shout out to Kelly uh but um so there's this one time we just pulled out of the bus uh the train station and then we we're talking and then there was this really gorgeous Japanese chick that just walked by mm-hmm. and so like I wasn't trying to right but I was just like I just, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then she said to me she, she's like she just like hit me like hey yeah <laughs> I was like I was like what <laughs> she's like she's like that's you know she was she was like so understanding man she just she just said yeah I, I get that you're looking at that girl like but you don't have to do that when you're when we're together right here you mm. know mm. and so from that I took that you know like she was acknowledging that yeah you're attracted to other women I get that cool. yeah you know it's just like there's a time and a place so you don't have to just every time like you're with we're with me right right now you know yeah maybe when you're by yourself like you can look i hope you don't do anything more than that yeah yeah um but it was like yeah it is really great to just notice where where what are we attracted what 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 are we attracted to and also that thing right after like right what is what's what happens as you are you making this attractive attraction wrong because you're in a relationship that is now it's wrong. Like, of course, you're just going to even, you, you know, being uh, married or this and that. I know that I'm not going to stop being attracted yeah. to women, even when, I, when the day comes, if and when the day comes, I get married. Yeah. Right. It's just now it, that's, that's going to come in alignment with what do I value? Yes. Like that, then you wager that 
with yep. attraction to, oh, I value gratitude. I value loyalty. I value courage, yeah. you know, loyalty, loyalty. Mm-hmm. So with that, okay, now you know that there's certain boundaries yeah. that, that, that are, that you set for yourself based on that attraction. Right. So, yeah. Right. But it's yeah. not wrong. Attraction's not wrong. Like, no, it just is. I mean, just like every other emotion you experience, it just is. Yeah. Right? You don't have to put a value judgment on it. You know, I get this a lot with friends now too is, I mean, some, some chicks, you know, like I, I know like, okay, you're, you're not that bad looking of a guy, Gavin. Some chicks could be attracted to me and stuff. And I get this from certain friends are like, Gavin, you, you're super picky, dude. And um, I've been just basically like, no, I'm just selective. You know, that's been my comeback. Mm-hmm. Dude, I have preferences, man. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think that there is unpacking with, with regards to underneath it. I see how there's subconscious like fears still around mm. like a commitment or, you know, I don't want to be put, put myself in a relationship where um, because and let these women down. And then underneath it's like, am I good enough? That could be, even be a part yep. of that. I'm open to discovering these, this sense of feeling inferior, like, cause this underdog has been such a big part of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm open to discovering more of these insecurities underneath that. So the question I hear you asking or beginning to ask is what's behind my no or what's motivating my no, right? Like if I look at someone and I decide, nope, that's not for me, you're wanting to be more curious, right? And then recognize, okay, that could be fine, but why? I need to at least name for me what is operating. Is it just that I don't think we'll be compatible for some reason or... Is it my own shit coming up, you know, keeping mm-hmm. me from experiencing something that could be beautiful? Blind spots, man. I'm open yep. to I know I have a lot of blind spots still. Man, me too. Me too. I feel <laughs> you. So as you're, as you're doing this work, as you are um, exploring different kinds of relationships, have you given much thought to how to do so safely? You know, so, so a conversation I was having with a buddy of mine last week, he was asking me <laughs> how he's expected to notice a, a person or a woman is attractive if it is wrong to to check someone out right so he was assuming that any type of any time he checks out a woman or or looks at her and judges her physically he's therefore objectifying her and that is sexist and wrong right and so he's like if that's the case how then am i supposed to ever decide if i think someone is physically attractive yeah you know how do i do that safely and respectfully and so have you engaged that question? Have you, what are yeah, your thoughts that's on doing that's that? so interesting this is where like i think the me too movement has like it's just get where men you know just are on guard to every step has to be this calculated Mm. thing uh just acknowledging potential weirdness that might happen you know it helps to it can be disarming you know so i i'll I'll say this especially if i'm in a more sober situations and then i'll I'll go up to somebody because oh damn she's super attractive uh i'll acknowledge with something like hey this might be kind of weird uh hey uh, i don't normally do this but um, and there's some type of like, there's just a, I don't know, I just acknowledge the the potential like air that might come up in there. Um, but it's, I've been playing more with just making it really clear, you know, so it's like, hey, um, I, I don't normally do this, but like, I just think you're super beautiful. Do you have a boyfriend? Makes it really clear, like, uh, I'm attracted to you physically. Are you taken? Because that's one of my things. I'm not going to engage in something if they're not in a relationship. So it kind of appeals to like a values that I have. And so just being clear, I want to verbally acknowledge these values directly or indirectly in that way. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but I am, I want to be respectful for, uh, you know, um, I am respectful to to women while still um, leaning into polarizing. Yeah, I think um, as I've, as I've, as I've thought about it, I, I see this as a consequence of the Me Too movement, but I don't put any blame on the movement. I think it's a result of growing up in a society in which we as men have had the liberty and the expectation to potentially be harmful and not having blowback for it. And now that all of a sudden there's potential blowback, I think it freaks us the hell out. You know, and there's even this fear of like imagined blowback. What if someone accuses me of sexual harassment, but I didn't do it and I lose my job, right? I don't know how many times that's happened. I don't know, maybe three, but you know, but like it's, it's, it's not something that happens t- too often. And so it, it's really crazy how many of us uh, have that fear. I think uh, as I have given this some thought, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong in judging to determine if someone uh, is attractive or not. Um, I want to make sure that I think as, as hetero cis men, we focus too much on physical attraction 
Um, and I, at least maybe I'll, I'll just put this on myself. I have focused too much on physical attraction throughout my life and not paid as much attention to if I'm mentally compatible with someone or spiritually compatible or emotionally, like there are a myriad of ways that you can be attracted or feel a connection with someone. But I, I think maybe as men, we are conditioned to only focus or to put 80% of our focus on the physical. Oh no, dude. I think that's as important though. I mean, it, I think you think the physical is important. Absolutely. It's mm-hmm. very important. I mean, it's not everything, but it's, it's very important that I, I'm just, I'm very clear that I'm not going to in, I'm not going to be with a girl that I'm not as physically attracted to. Mm-hmm. And is that going to be enough for me to hold on in a longer term relationship? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, absolutely not. And you know, that's a, that's an important part of the coin for me for sure. Um, and I would just, I just noticed that, you know, when I talk to my friends who are women and men that it does like men, we seems like generally there's exceptions to every rule. Mm-hmm. It seems like generally men, we, it is, it is important for us where men, it's a uh, women, it, it seems like there's more of like an emotional connection mm-hmm. that happens where, you know, uh, where like, yeah, I was, I was thinking like, you know, Hey, would you find, I, you know, I'll even play with my ex sometimes. One of my exes is just like, uh, and I was like, do you find him attractive? She's like, no. I was like, okay, well, what if he was like the sweetest guy, you know? Yeah. And he, he like, he was kind, he was playful, you know, he was like me, yeah. <laughs> except yeah. he was like him, you know? Maybe. And then she's like, yeah, maybe. And then I just, I, I can't even fathom that, you know, like but a girl I think, that I'm attracted to. Yeah. I, I feel you, but. And I, I don't have the scientific data to back this up, but my assumption is that that differentiation, uh, men being attracted physically and prioritizing that and women needing to access uh, an emotional safety before they can connect physically, I think that's a direct result of patriarchy, right? I think as a woman, right, if you know that any given moment you can be a victim of violence by a man, right, or your safety can be threatened, then it, of course, maybe you're going to develop and value the emotional safety before you let yourself experience other kinds of attraction because the emotional safety is a strong indicator that you won't be harmed that your body won't be used and abused whereas as a as a man i don't ever think about if a woman i'm attracted to is going to abuse me like that that thought never crosses my mind you know i don't ever think about being raped generally and so i i think that Broadly, there is that distinction, but I think it's it's rooted in patriarchy rather than biology. That's interesting, man. That could be. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting point right there. I can't argue with that. You said something earlier about creating space, right? And so I think creating safe space is important. And I can't say, I don't know what makes each and every person feel safe, but I think it's something that for, for people to keep in mind, when you are approaching someone that you might be attracted to or are interested in, in establishing a relationship with, to, to check your motivations and to ask if the thing you're about to say or the thing you're about to do or the way that you're interacting with them, is it creating safe space? Is it creating space for them to exist as they are? Or are you only created creating space for them to exist as an object of your or your gratification? You know, and, and that's not a clear delineation, but I think to your point, intention is really important. And so if your intention is to help them feel safe and to value them, to let them know that they are valued and, and respected, then I think that's going to subconsciously influence your, your actions. Um, whereas if you don't have that intention going in, it's easy to just react how we're programmed. And so even a line like one you gave earlier, you know, hey, I think you're attracted to you have a boyfriend. For some people that'll make them feel safe and they'll, they'll be down with it. For someone else, it, it might not, right? And you can't actually know going in. Um, and so I know it's not a perfect system, but I, I think the intention can maybe mitigate some of that. What do you think about it that? Could, yeah, I think it could. And, um, you know, I think that no matter what, if I'm really going to be honoring also my truth, then I'm just going to come off as creepy for to some people, mm, you know, I think, yeah. I think I will. So um, I think I have been on a few occasions where mm-hmm. I, I was told. I'm and, sure we all have. Yeah. 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 So I, I just think that like, you know, there's, it's all, all that thing where the three buckets again, you know, some, some women are just not going to be down with it and you can try to mitigate as much as possible. But at one at what point are you willing to? And I also want to put it out there. No means am I for this relationship experts, anybody out there <laughs> right there, but I'm just going to, Same. I'm just, you know, voicing my, just my experiences. And this yeah. is a really, I like, I love this conversation, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, that, like I just said, intention is definitely not ever, everything because intentions, intentions can be thwarted or they can mm-hmm. be misconstrued for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and just from an individual, like a point of view too, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's just so important to, to have this intention, even if the intention is, you know what, 
you know what? I'm just going to come with an open mind. I'm not going to have an intention. That could be the intention, mm, yeah. you know? And so just having that set, there is something around like your body. Like if it's really, and you stand in that intention, mm. you like, like this is the intention that I'm committed to having. Like your, your body, you'll move your body in a way that's very subtle. It's very nuanced. You're going you're to inflect in a way that's very nuanced that will connote that, you know, hey, he's a safe, they're safe, mm. safe person to, yeah. you know, to, um, to be around. And like, I don't know, like just even over Halloween, I was at this club and there's, this, she was a she's this gorgeous girl and we were just dancing and everything. And then I just asked her, hey, you want to, you want to come through to my friend's place? And she was by herself, you know, mm. um, and she just said, yeah, and we, mm. she, we came back, hung out, like, and nothing happened with it, yeah. uh, you know, and for some, whatever it was, like, she was safe. And I also, man, I was clear, like, yo, she's sexy, dude. Like, mm -hmm. I would, if, if there was an opportunity and it was a mutual thing, yeah, I would love to have sex with this woman. Yeah. And I was clear about that, you know, with her and, but for whatever reason, there's, I think that the intention is like, I'm not here to force you into anything. Mm. And I didn't say that, you know, but it was just this, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think there's, there's intention goes a long way. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think, um, we always, we have to do work about continuing to be safe, right? Even if you, the initial interaction or the first part of a relationship, you were good at, at being a safe person. I think it's so easy to fall into patterns and habits and so that we don't even know we're no longer being safe, you know, and that can happen a month yeah. in, it can happen 10 years in, you know, like, so there's some value in returning to this, returning to your point, to our blind spots, and to our intentions because those shift over time and, and doing the work of continuing to be a safe space you know absolutely and you know i think another thing that's really important is having people around me that is going to like be honest with me mm. you know that's just going to call me out on shit because like for me for one i i realized that like i could be a slick talker like i'm good with words or this that, and the yeah. third and i can like kind of weave around stuff but then I'm not really answering a question. Maybe I've done it a few times here. I don't know. But like, if I need somebody that's just going to be like, cut that shit. You're not, you can't get away yeah. with that with me, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I know. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so important to have, man. It's just like the hard truth, right? Like that's, that leaves opportunity for radical self-awareness. Mm, yeah. Right. Which is yeah. such a big thing for you. And like, I, I really just resonate with that as uncomfortable as, as triggering as it can be these these triggers man that we have when our buttons get pushed it's so much more about me mm. than than this other person you know and so as a coach you know one of my thing is never about it's not about like hey dude this is how you gotta live your life man that's mm -hmm. like such a big thing that's misconstrued about life coaching it's questions you know it's it's like what is it about that person that you what are you most upset about what mm. is it about me that has me so triggered about this situation? And those kind of questions, um, as opposed to how could that person do th say such a thing? Yeah, that would could that would bring out such a different answer than what is it about me that has me so upset about what she or he just said? Mm -hmm. That would bring a completely different answer. I have been learning to um, mediate or evolve my my paradigm or the way that I think by scheduling questions. Right before I like when I lack gratitude, I just said, okay, this is a generic question, but I'm going to just habitually on my way to work, ask myself when I'm driving on the 405 freeway, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? And now it's, it's pretty like second nature, dude. It's pretty cool, man. But it's like, it comes from scheduling when we can schedule consciously designed open-ended empowering questions. They, they really like they can really make a difference. And I feel like that's one of my roles as a coach is helping people live into higher quality questions. Yeah, man, that's, that's what's up. And I want to uh, let the listeners know, uh, Gavin, you don't even know this yet, but uh, I, I, what I want to do is I want to do a sample um, coaching session that'll be separate from this episode. Maybe it's like 10 or 15 minutes so that people have an idea of what coaching is and what a session feels like. Cause I've had several, oh, I've had several yeah, coaches dude. on, you know, and yeah, we talk that's about so it. Great. I love that. But 
I don't know that people know exactly what it is and what they might get out of it. And so, um, yeah, you and I'll do that after the podcast and I'll put it up just so. Dude, I'd love to do that, man. Great. Dude, that'd be so stoked. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. That's perfect. Um, so I, I, and in the spirit of questions, I, I want to offer a question to you before we wrap up as you are, as you are continuing to explore relationships, you know, and notice attraction, whenever you notice physical attraction, I want to invite you to ask the question, what else? Right. Meaning, okay, yes, physically, sexually, whatever, this person is attractive. Is there something mentally that is getting turned on to me? Is there something spiritually that's getting turned on emotionally, whatever, right? Whatever else intuitively ask, allow yourself that what else. And I think that's important. And I, I extend that to my listeners as well, because remember as men, I think we are taught uh, and growing up in a patriarchal society, women's values in their bodies, producing children, satisfying our sexual needs. And so if we're really going to do the work of healing and creating safe spaces, we have to kind of reprogram ourselves to see more than just that. Not that the physical isn't important. It is. But there's like, that's like 10% of what, what it means to be connected with someone or turned on by someone. Right. And I think yeah. at least I'm discovering that for me. And so we've got to do the work of, of engaging the other 90% of ourselves and seeing the 90% of the people we interact with. Um, so yeah, I just want to offer that question of what else to you. Okay, man. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. I think okay. it's a little higher than 10%. It might be like, like 20% maybe. Okay. Still. I'll take, I'll take 20. I'll take 20. <laughs> okay. Definitely below 50 though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I like to end my podcast um, with each guest offering the listener a thought, a question, or a simple mindful practice that they can use to tie together all of our concepts. And so as you think about what mm. we've talked about, uh, which would be mindful masculinity, uh, patriarchy, the power of intention, blind spots, as you think about those things, uh, is there something you would offer to the listeners that they can do for the first minute or two every day to really begin to zero in on one of those concepts for themselves? Well, you know, one thing that just comes to mind is just the word desire comes up for me. Mm. And so um, I, I learned this from Dean Graciosi who's the Syrian entrepreneur, he's really big in real estate, but he has something known as the seven levels of why. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that you don't have to do on a daily basis for listeners, but it's just something to know whenever there's a desire to actually sit down and you can have like, uh, you know, a piece of paper and a pen and just and start with the question about what do I really want? And then from there, allow yourself just to sit in and really what it is, it could just be like, I really want a relationship. Okay. And now the seven levels of why is asking yourself seven times it, okay, with, with that, what you just said. So why do you want a relationship? Um, I want to experience love. Okay. Why, why is that important for you to experience love? Um, Cause it makes me feel more deeply connected. Why is it important for you to feel more deeply connected? Why is that important? And you can keep getting, 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 getting. And I did this before um, with my former coach, Mark, right? Mm -hmm. And um, when I got to the seven, I've done like a lot of work on why. And it really reminded me though, because when we got around to like the seven one, we spent literally an hour on this same question. Why? Why wow. is that? Why that? And it led me back to those moments of the past, right? Mm -hmm. And this kind of is great of going full circle around how pain can be powerful. It, it reminded me of that Mr. Scatter of, of, of stage, of being the stage crew, of, of uh, being told by the teachers, why do you never talk? Do you have anything to say? And those, it, it brings me back to that. I'm like, oh my God, that, yeah, it reminds me. That's why self-expression, that's why that's so important for me because I felt I was always discounting myself where like it didn't mean a damn thing, you know? Yeah. And so when we get to the why, those, the deeper the why goes, the more you'll feel it. It'll start coming from the gut and yeah. your, your truth will come out and it'll emote something. Like, I think my eyes started getting pregnant with like, with, 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 uh, with motivation for, yeah, this is, man, that is why I like, I, I love coaching and it's about, that's why I love flow masters. Cause it's about holding space for people to feel safe in being raw or as my friend would say raw authentic so you know ask yourself what do you want what do you really want and check in maybe start with a meditation three minute you can do like a box breathing exercise breathe in for four hold it for four exhale for four hold it for four like five times then navy seals do that and then ask yourself what do you want and then ask the seven levels of why but not just saying why but it's it's whatever you said why why is it important for you to experience love okay
of you to experience deep connection. Why is it important for you to experience deep connection? And do that seven times, and you'll know when you when you when when you start to choke up or you you feel a sense of emotion. That's where motivation comes when like you you have this reason, and it's usually this magnified emotion. Um, so that's what I would offer. Yeah, yeah, that's what's dope. And I having experienced the seven levels of why, because Mark did it the first time we had a coaching session. Mm-hmm. And man, I hated it, but it was so powerful because you're right. The first question you start in your mind and then with each why it takes you deeper and deeper into yourself until mm-hmm. you see things that you didn't know were there. Yeah. Um, it's so simple, I'm, but so powerful. It is so simple. And so like, especially when we're so good at like, I'm so good at premeditating stuff that mm-hmm. those first few levels, it's just like, I spitballed that. Like, yeah. of course, yeah. I always say that. It sounds good. It sounds eloquent. It sounds dope. Yep. Um, but yeah, I've also tried another one, which is a stretch for certain people. This is mm-hmm. like, if you really wanted to go ape shit is um, what, before I started coaching, I, I wrote on a document on a Microsoft Word, what are like a hundred reasons why I want to be a coach Mm. and so like you know 25 25 to 30 they're easy you know like they're easy but when you get to like mm, 60 70 it's just like what and then you're trying to rephrase things but sometimes you rephrase things and it's very similar to what you said in number five but like you rephrase it in a way where a certain word gives a different type of energetic response and that becomes more of a pulling force and then after that you can highlight like your top 10 and maybe even in green, you can highlight your top five. And those are really the big forces, you know? Mm. Um, so that's just for the more ambitious. <laughs> <with> it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, that's what's up. Um, well, man, thanks for being on today. As a reminder to the listeners, Gavin and I are going to do an, another separate short episode that's just a preview of what a coaching session looks like. I've had uh, Gavin on, I've had Melanie on, I've had Mark Cordon on. They're all coaches of varying sorts um, that you can access if, if you're interested in, in seeking out a, a life coach or an empowerment coach. Um, and if you're curious about what a session sounds like, Gavin and I'll do a demo and I'll put that up on the podcast as well. Um, but Gavin, I know you do more than just one-on-one coaching. You know, you've got a chapter in this book, Ignite Your Life, which readers can find, I presume, on Amazon. Um, you've got, uh, you are involved in Flowmasters, you've got group programs. So can you talk more about uh, other services you offer that, that our listeners might be able to, to explore or even access if they're interested? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So one of mine that I'm venturing a lot more into is I love just group dynamic. Uh, So I have a program that I launched and we're doing our next one's going to be launching on January 8th. And it's called Take Back Your Human. And it's it's for both men and women that are growth mindset. And they really want to kick off the year with with more with just with powerful intentionality. And the people that really want to experience a deeper, uh, a deeper connection to themselves and the people around them. So I say Take Back Your Human is about really consciously designing the nuts and bolts of your life experience. Um, we go through, um, it's a 10, it's a 10, it's a 12, 90 day program. And we go through 10 calls all around crystallizing a vision that really excites you to actually have something to look forward to. That's one of the biggest differences from coaching versus therapy is, is more about where you are to really where you want to go. And it doesn't replace therapy. I want to make that very clear. Oh, and one last one, if you want, just yeah, the thing it. is, is around. So Flowmasters, you're probably wondering what the heck is Flowmasters too? And this is, we just recently made it a lot more public. It started with just five of us, uh, five of my, my buddies and they're like coaches or motivational speakers. We're all just all growth mindset. And it's about mixing personal development and freestyle rapping. And so it's pretty, it's, it's under the same concept of Take Back a Human. It's about creating a safe space for people to really explore themselves deeply, their fears, their desires, their wants. And it's inside of a space of freestyle rapping. Yeah. And I've seen a couple of the videos Gavin's posted on Instagram. And it may not sound like it, but this combination of, of mindfulness uh, and growth and hip hop and flow Man, it, it it'll it'll reveal some some deep stuff. It'll help you gain clarity, spark your creativity, and so I I can't recommend this enough. Just from the few minutes I've seen, uh, it is powerful, y'all. So please, if nothing else, at least check it out. You might know someone that you want to recommend this to. Absolutely. All right, my man. Thanks for being on. I appreciate you. Thank you. 
thank you for listening to episode 22 of the Invisible Truths podcast. As always, you can find more information about Gavin and his work in the episode description, so click those links. I also want to announce that season one of this podcast is quickly coming to an end. There will be one more episode next week, so fear not, there's still a little bit more that you can listen to, but I am taking a short hiatus to prepare for the birth of Brooke and I's child before I launch season two in early 2020. I have appreciated the support you all have given. I've appreciated your consistent messages and the thoughtful responses you've had to the content. And I hope you have appreciated the authenticity that my guests and I have brought to this podcast each and every week. I know we haven't gotten everything right in terms of content or production, but I think our message and what we're trying to demonstrate has been consistent. And I think it's also been appreciated. And so thank you for being loyal and consistent listeners and for sending me the support that you've sent me. Season two will drop sometime in late January or early February of 2020. So if you haven't done so already, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified when new episodes come out. As promised, Gavin and I did record a speed coaching session that ended up being a little bit longer than we anticipated, but was still shorter than a full coaching session. And because I think it's important for you to see the video as well as the audio, I am actually uploading that to the Invisible Truths Facebook page. So if you have not yet gone there, go to Facebook and check out the Invisible Truths page and you will see our miniature coaching session. It'll be uploaded sometime later this week. And I think it gives you a good demonstration of what you might expect if you were to engage in coaching yourself. As always, thank you again for listening. Thank you for tuning in to episode 22 of the Invisible Truths podcast. And until next week, I'm Ben Tapper.